everyone. My name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist here at Talent. Mark Balkney, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talent. And my name is Ryan Edmonds. I work here at Devil's Canyon Brewery and I'm the production lead. Perfect. So, Devil's Canyon. Never really heard it in Colorado and that is in fact true. Mark and I have been able to take this show on the road. We're out here in San Carlos, California. Um, conveniently near headquarters, which is why we're able to do this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it was time to, you know, Colorado brews are great, but we wanted to start Venture taking out. this. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for having us here today. Of course. So give us a sense in the name, right? I was doing some research on, on the brewery, and, and if I remember right, like Devil's Canyon, it came from something that was very local, right? Yeah, so it's uh, named after La Cañada del Diablo, which is close by in San Mateo County. Um, that's where the name Devil's Canyon came from. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, and how long have you guys been around? Or uh, we just celebrated our fifteenth anniversary. Oh, that's recently. awesome! Fifteen years, awesome. Yeah, very cool. All right. Have you always been at this location? Or um, so we originally were actually at Bel a location in Belmont, which okay. is just down the street. Um, we moved here about four years ago. Excellent. Really cool. mm -hmm. It's a great place. Yeah, it's really nice having this event space and uh, tons more space for extra tanks and yeah. new equipment. <clears throat> that's that's. I mean, this is a fantastic facility. I know you can kind of just see us and in the back, but mm -hmm. you guys have a lot of space here. So, outside of just the brewing aspect of it, like what types of things do you guys have here? Um, so, a number of companies do events here, uh, say quarterly reports, or Intel did an event called, I think it was Day Zero Countdown, Very cool. um, where the whole place was kind of taken over. We also used the Annex for that, which is our bail room, and then some extra walk-in storage. But they took over both buildings, um, had a bunch of stuff set up here, and they were unveiling some new products. So we do product launches occasionally with some tech companies. Um, Facebook and Google are close by, so they mm -hmm. occasionally will have events here as well. That's really cool. um, but as far as our events, uh, we have Beer Fridays every Friday, um, and we have we host that co-host that with uh, Off the Grid, okay. and they're basically a lo local food truck company. So there'll be half a dozen or so food trucks here, Sweet. and um, yeah, they provide the food, we provide the beer. Uh, what more do you need? Kids, dog friendly. So I think we need to be on a Friday night. Sometime. Yeah, right. Yeah, next, time, yeah, next <laughs> time we're gonna be here. We have a couple guys with us in behind the scenes that work at Talent. They they're very uh, familiar with your Friday night activities. Ah, there you so. go. Nice, glad <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> So outside the facilities, right, and we got a fine selection of beers that we've got here. Um, so we kind of mentioned we got a bunch, a huge facility for kind of the brewing, barreling. How many? Uh, what? What? You know, is the amount that you guys normally put out? Is it just local to, to California? Can we find it in Colorado? Um, I would have to check with our sales team. We okay. are in some other states. We do we do ship out to Florida. We occasionally have some stuff overseas as well. Um, we deal with Canada a fair amount. Um, we recently opened up the market in New Mexico. Which is kind of exciting. That's actually where the owner is from. Um, so cool. he's he's excited to get some beers out there. Um, but yeah, so we're 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 a little bit um, making our way through the country. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, to give us kind of a sense what uh, the selection we have here. Like, what in your process kind of decided these were the types of beers that we wanted to have, and, and what are they? You know. So um, we mostly do fairly traditional English style ales. Uh, our house yeast is is English. Um, full bore in particular is um, probably my favorite. That's that's our flagship beer, which is a little bit unusual, especially for West Coast, because you don't see a lot of dark beers, but I'm partial, I'm more partial to the darker and maltier beers myself, so okay. I really like that one out of our core beers. Um, we have added a few IPAs and do some seasonal releases as well. Um, 
IPAs, of course, are all the craze, all the rage right now. We have a lot of hop heads out here in California, especially. Is that what you call them, hop heads? <laughs> that's, that's we one need word to start, for them, we yeah. need to move that, that <laughs> phrase to, yeah. the, to Colorado, yeah. hop heads. I haven't heard <laughs> that before. I do like that. That's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay, so you mentioned you got those. Um, now, is there anything particular that, that um, Devil's Canyon does specific to this that might be different than what a general brewer might do in these types of uh, ales? So one thing that makes us somewhat unique, I think, is actually the construction of the building okay. and the way our equipment's set up. Um, a lot of it has been reclaimed from demolition sites oh, and um, other other places that it was basically just going to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that definitely um, is a big part of our philosophy and the sustainability practices. Um, we have a number of things set up, like uh, to reutilize water when possible. Um, and yeah, we try to be as efficient as possible. Awesome, that's, that's awesome. Good. Yeah, don't waste resources when when it can be avoided. Yeah, very cool. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah. So with that, I mean, in terms of your process, so one of the things we like to do is like obviously with the series, we combine data and beer. Mm -hmm. right? Usually more the latter than the former. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as you're kind of putting this brewing process together, how how much is you know the data that you're getting affect that brewing process, right? Um, I'm, you know, kind of assuming that at least in terms of the fermentation process and the mashing process and things like that, you guys are getting temperature readings and things like mm -hmm. that. So kind of walk us through, you know, how those kind of variables play into the, the brewing process. Okay. So it sounds like you, you at least have a, have, have a basic idea of some of the processes. So yeah, of course you need to be on point with your temperature is one of the most critical points um, during your mashing. So you're constantly monitoring. Um, from the grain bed and then later on as you're either vorloffing or running off you're going to want to check the temperature on okay. that and you're doing pH readings at each stage to make sure that you're within that desired pH range. Um, other variables would be uh, the grain. So okay. you have basically you're, you're trying to extract the sugars that are held within those barley or wheat or what have you or cereal, cereal grains. So in order to crack those you have a mill so it has two rollers and as you're feeding the grain in through there, you need to take samples periodically, and we have uh, a sieve basically. So you'll you'll dump that sample in there, shake it around, and then you can tell by the breakdown, okay, how much how much is powder or grist, okay. how much is the husk, and that will affect your efficiency. Um, so so if you have a very good crush, um, then you will potentially get more sugar out of it, which means you can get a little bit more volume, and you'll you'll get better product. Now, do you have automatic sensors in in a lot of these? processes like on the tanks for temperature readings automatically warnings and things like that that you use yeah so for the tanks we you definitely need to um, monitor your temperature very closely um, but for a lot of the other stuff uh, especially on the hot side when you're actually brewing that's all done pretty much manually so okay. we, we have temperature readouts um, but we don't have a fully automated system where you just punch in. This is what the, what temperature I want, and then it just does the work yeah, for you. So a slow cooker of a, yeah. So you do need to pay a little bit more attention. But I, I kind of like that. It keeps yeah. you more involved and reminds you yep. yeah. what you cool. need to do. Our teeth all sense that. No, that makes yeah. sense. So you know, we're Colorado boys, mm -hmm. and uh, obviously in Colorado, you have one of these microbrews on every corner. Right? It's a Starbucks, which yeah. is awesome. Um, you guys have really kind of set the stage for microbrewing out in this area, right? So how is that, you know, how is, I guess, California taken to the microbrewery um, sense? They've definitely exploded out here as well. Um, I would say probably Portland and then Bay Area, San Diego, as far as West Coast are kind of the big 
big hotspots. Um, we do have a number. We're one of the. We're we're on the older side, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of other ones that came out around the same time as us. Um, of course, there's Anchor in San Francisco, which has right. a very storied history, and they've they're they're kind of one of the pioneers for at least the Bay Area craft movement. Um, the reason we're we're in California is um, the, the owner actually moved here from New Mexico, like I said. Yeah. So this is where we ended up. Um, the location works out really nicely. Um, actually, originally was a Tesla factory, I believe. Oh, Get out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we actually still have a traffic cone hanging around here that says Tesla on it somewhere. <laughs> At least something good is made here now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just say that because I can't afford a Tesla. Right? Yeah. So, hey, the I mean, if I could. The new ones are coming out. Those look pretty good. Um, all right. So I think you kind of mentioned it, but if, you know, they're all your babies, but what's your favorite? Um, like I said, for the core beers, I, I really like the full bore. Um, we do have one series that I'm excited about is uh, we've been doing a lot of smashes, which is single malt and single hop, which allows you to showcase uh, a hop that maybe you might not have had very often. So, for example, actually the beer that I, I have in front of me right now, is a Eureka Smash. Um, Eureka is a hop that I had never used before, um, and that's kind of the best way to learn about it, right? Because then you just have, we just did a straight pale two-row run, so the malt is relatively neutral, and then you can you can really get pick out the flavor and aroma that's provided by that hop. That does sound delicious. Yeah. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you so much for the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, again, everyone, we're at Devil's Canyon Brewery here in San Carlos, California. Uh, Mark, again, has yet another T-shirt that I have bought him. (laughs) Thanks, Uh, Nick. Anytime. Um, Thank you so much for your time, and we'll be back in a second. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for coming out here. Cheers. Of course. Cheers. All right, man. So how do we want to handle this? Because, to be fair, I spilled on myself. In the first first take, Nick Nick spilled on himself during the big day of Chug. Right. And I won. You did win. So, But I'm willing to do a second time. Right. So pause for points. All right. So that being said, if we want to do this a second time, we can. I'm willing to do it, Nick. All right. Well, you should we call Ashley back up? Yeah, Ashley. Let's, let's right. call Ashley Stirrup back up here again. So Ashley Stirrup is the chief marketing officer at Talent. Yep. Uh, he he was the judge in the last one. He's going to judge us again. So, well, this time Nick has to win. Have to win. Oh, hold on. Good well, luck with that on. one. <laughs> I gotta I gotta apparently get it to where Mark already had it. Warned them about the beer and. Uh, yeah, we talked about the uh, take two and how I won. It. Take two. Uh, you know, beer I mean, and big bib. yeah, beer, beer and big. Yeah, we're gonna do a beer and big bib for, for uh, Nick next time. You know, I, I, I strive to be as best as I can. Sometimes it just doesn't work, Mark. Yeah, it's uh, all right, Nick. All right, so that's all. That's how all the best people. Are. No up, no up and down. We're just gonna cheers right. and so he finishes be, first. Before we do that, and, and Adam is, <laughs> is over here stealing one. All right, so before we do this, right? So we'll call out as we normally do in these episodes. Uh, a toast to one of our partners. Yes. We've been very, working very closely with Google lately on a number of webinars. It's been a great working with them. Yes. So this big data chug is dedicated to all those great people over at Google. All right? All right. Good luck, guys. Don't get too sloppy. No. Take two. Take two. Uh, neck and neck. I don't know. Oh, you just got crushed. I did get Again. <laughs> all right, Nick. All Again, right. thank you, Ashley. At, at least your shirt is clean this yes. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean. I, I kept it. Right, it's all in. No data errors. All awesome. data processing. Excellent. Uh, all right, so back where to, are we starting? Right, back to business. Um, 
this episode is is largely dedicated, like our previous episode, to an industry vertical. Um, for those of you that watched our last episode, we were talking about agriculture. Today we're going to be talking about healthcare and all the different ways that um, big data has really transformed and digitized uh, this whole process, right? And so how I thought we'd go about doing this is we kind of talk about the smallest piece, right? Go down to the um, genome sequencing all the way up to um, some really interesting use cases and, and how doctors and uh, are interfacing with patients and using machine learning excuse me, to help solve some of these problems. So great. Let's, let's Right in. Let's right? dive in right into you uh, to your first topic. Get your notes, Walter Klein. Ground tight. You can't even. It's just like I I'm know. Right? Take, so. In the news today. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. What's uh, corn prices today, Walter? Yeah, right. Pork grinds have gone up eight dollars. No. Um, all right. So let's get back to business. The seriousness. Um, right. So one of the as we're doing the research for this, right? One of the, the things I found most interesting. Um, was kind of the advancements that have been going on in terms of sequencing our genome, right? So this has been going on for a long time. Uh, many of you have maybe heard of, maybe you haven't, the Human Genome Project, right? Essentially mapping all of, of the pairs and identifying what makes us human. And so kind of with that, uh, there's been a huge explosion in the capabilities, right? So it kind of started out about a decade ago. Well, rather, it took a decade to focus in on the first time. Um, but because of that, um, it cost a ton of money, right? Three billion to yeah. sequence it the first time. The first time. The fr and it's crazy. And, and now we're getting down, if I did my research right, to about $1,000 for this type of thing. And a lot of that has come just to the advancements that we're seeing in big data in that, general. That's $1,000 per, per person or patient, right, however right. you look at it, right? Yeah, which I mean, it's that's a very, cheap. it is probably the most important project that we're going to see in our lifetimes, right? Absolutely. It's, it, the, the, the potential is just limitless. Um, and, and with that, though, is, is just the ability to analyze this information, to collect it, to do this. Um, what I find fascinating about all this is by they're, they're estimating by 2025, which is not that far away, no. we're going to have to start working at like zettabytes or zettabytes of, of sequencing per year. That's I, all. Don't, I don't even know what a zettabyte is. Can you, Look, can you fit a zettabyte in this place? I'm going to guess. It's take two after all. So at this point, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that does mean, I mean, well, that's just in terms of the processing power. If we look at just the amount of storage, it's exabytes. Anywhere from two to four exabytes, right, that are going to be running for this type of stuff. That's a lot of data. That is a lot of data. Right? Um, and it's crazy. And, and so really what's kind of kicked off this explosion in the ability to process this data has been, as we've talked about in, in a previous episode, the frameworks for processing data. Right? And so one of the big projects that are in place right now is um, is basically the genomic toolkit, which is GATK. Yep. It has been designed by the uh, Broad Institute, which is a, a collaboration between MIT and Harvard, and it's all on Spark, right? And so the version 4 that's out there right now is, is great. It's on Spark? Yeah, it's on Spark. We, we gotta give it a shot. We, don't, let's, we should. Let's give it a shot. I think it would be interesting. I mean, they, let's see a, what we can do. And, and if there's anyone at the Broad Institute that decided, hey, I'm going to watch two guys drinking talk about my, my industry. We'd love to work with you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and if I remember... And I know Google would love to, to have a shout at it too. So. Yeah, I, I think, in fact, doing my research, they, they're they already working with them. So it'd be great. Excellent. Just a combination of that. Yeah, let's do it. You know, at a minimum, we'll learn some stuff, right? Um, so just just aside in terms of you know the, the capabilities that we've been talking from just analyzing the genome, I mean, there's there's huge potential in, in understanding who we are to provide individualized medicine, which... You know, is the difference between, in some cases, life or death. Absolutely. 
right? Yes, that's, that's why it's so important. Yeah. So, okay, so let's, let's go a level higher. And, and you have some experience. You've, you've worked in this industry before. So now let's talk about how this is kind of revolutionizing or really improving the ways that pharmaceuticals are being. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I've, I've worked in the uh, pharma industry for a while. And I worked on the commercial side, but uh, I have a lot of friends that work in the R&D side, mm -hmm. uh, is, including my wife, who is a laboratory information management systems expert. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of ups and downs up and downs there. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the things that's very interesting in that space is, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people understand what it takes to get a single molecule, you know, once it's discovered all the way to um, phase three in trial. So, uh, which means if you pass that, you can then go to FDA and get it approved as an actual drug. And, you know, so there's kind of two phases. There's the, the first part where you go through the discovery and testing of the molecules. Mm -hmm. And uh, that alone can cost almost $500 million or more, depending on you huh. know, how long it takes. It's, and that's, that's, just, money. that's just testing the molecule and figuring out what it is. And, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago, that took, you know, it took a lot of data to do the tests in the laboratory information systems or LIMS as they call them and, and other applications, it, it recorded a ton of data. Okay. You know, 10, 15 years ago, that, that was, you, you couldn't process it. It was so much data. So the data scientists who, you know, everybody thinks is new, Susie, what the heck, man? You're killing me. All right. So anyway. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. So anyway, you know, Back then, what they, the data scientists did, you know, part of their job was figuring out the algorithms for sampling the data. So coming up with a, a valid sample set of the data. And they literally would take 7% of the data, 7 to 10% of the data, to determine which molecules should move on to the next phase. Wait, 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 hold on. 7 to 10%? Yeah, 7 to 10% 7 to of the data. It was because of the limitations of the processing applications they used, you know, the... the hmm. The databases, the right. I mean, the storage, everything. But now, with Spark and Hadoop and, and the ability to, you know, at a very low cost, get to the point where, hey, I can process all the data. I don't need to sample it anymore. I can I can look at all the test data on these molecules and determine, you know, do I want to spend another hundred million, another two hundred million on this one molecule to move it to the next phase? And determine, you know, where do I want to go with this drug? Is, is this a molecule that could become a drug that's going to cure cancer, right? And there are so many molecules that have just been put on a shelf, you know, right? Right. I say well, shelf, you know, figuratively, <laughs> but they've been put on the shelf, and because they didn't pass the test. So, you know, I have friends in the industry that hey, we're we're actually going back, right? You know, 15, 20 years of data going back and looking at these molecules. And determining hmm. maybe we should retest these and determine whether maybe we could move these forward to solve some of these these diseases that are killing people, cancer and other things. So you know, it's a huge, huge benefit that we have these platforms that can process this much data. It's it's amazing. Right. No, I mean it. It really speaks to again the ability to create better drugs that are you know, per, 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 potentially different varieties, right, to help for individualized um, patients and things like that. I mean, it, it's really interesting, and we're really looking forward to seeing how this type of stuff moves forward. Certainly, it's already there today. Um, 
Now, outside of that, right? So we've kind of talked about the next step, right? So, okay, we we understand who you are. We've been able to create drugs that are specific to your needs. Let's talk about how you know how this could influence the interaction between patient and uh, and doctor, right? And so, as as part of this and doing the research on how this is working, we wanted to make sure that we kind of got some of that information. So I found this really interesting story about how we've been using machine learning to better identify um, heart attacks quicker, right? And using machine learning to find, I think it's four times quicker uh, than, than the doctors are able to. And, and that really, I mean, all of us have probably dealt with some family member that's had some cardiac issue. So the ability that, you know, I mean, that four times faster, that's the difference between life and death. It is. Right? And, and that's, you know, and that comes down to, to wearables, what they yeah. what they call wearables. So, you know, I had a Garmin Fitbit. It's, it's broken right now. And I also spilled beer all over it. I, I'm sure. But, uh, but yeah, like Garmin Fitbit, or uh, Fitbits, Garmins, you know, all the, the smart, the Apple Watch, right, all yeah. Garmins, or uh, um, the, uh, the uh, Samsung yeah. Frontier. They all track your fitness. Hmm. But... Those are those are tracking, you know, your activity and things like that. And we have a great demo talent that shows that. Yeah. But beside that, you know, doctors are using that technology now to help identify things in advance. So, you know, especially in diabetes and heart, you know, patients that are at high risk for heart attacks, wearables are huge. They're the data that they they give to physicians at real time. Yeah. Not not you know a day later or a week later, but real-time alerts are being sent to physicians saying, hey, your patient's you know, blood sugar levels are dipping way low or their yeah. heart is you know, acting irregular. We need to take action on that stat. You know, these are the types of things that you know, the physicians are taking action on with these wearables. And you know, it's, it's a wearable or IoT you know, sensor, basically, that you're wearing that tells your physician these things. There's scales that... You know, there's scales with Wi-Fi now that tell your physician your, your weight as it goes up or down over time. So there's a lot of great things out there that are helping physicians and patients have a much more real-time interaction to yeah. track their data. Right, and it's, I mean, studies have shown that, that patients recover better in an area, like essentially at home. So it's yeah. really great to see that that's kind of going on. What I think will be really interesting is, is seeing how those this new data source, if you will, for information in the healthcare space will have an effect on, on the existing kind of status quo, right? So many of us have worked with HL7 uh, formats and things like that, right, where it's kind of standard, but you know, how it'll be really interesting to see how this IoT and real-time data is gonna create maybe even potentially a new HL7 message type, right? Oh, HL7, my favorite. Yeah. Thanks right. for bringing that up. Right, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's a little PTSD here, no, folks, it is, we apologize. It is, it is, but no, I mean, but no, I mean, HL7 is great. It's a great right. format, it's a standardization that you know the healthcare industry it uses. It needed, of course. And that you know, systems can interact with each other, you know, systems like Epic and Cerner, and you know, and, you know people like us at Talent can and take that data because it's a standard and, right. and, and you know, do processing on it. So, so even though I, I, I have some you know, past history with HL7, I do, it's a good thing. It is, and we need it. I mean, but essentially, it'll be really fascinating to see the evolution yes. of that protocol to support it, this new data. And it will evolve. Right, it Can't has to, right? Um, so, and you kind of mentioned it was really interesting um, because you kind of talked about wearables 
and the, the capabilities. And, I, and, and actually ran into a story where they were saying essentially a wife was able to identify that her husband was having a heart attack because his heart rate sensors were going crazy. Going crazy. Right? Yeah. And it, it indicated that there was something wrong. And, and there's just so many ways that this is actually improving our daily lives, which kind of leads us to the last use case that we wanted to talk about, right? And it's an amazing story of hope, which is one of our customers who is in the space, which is Unos. So if you haven't heard of Unos before, it's essentially United Network for Organ Sharing, right? Now, it's a private, non-for-profit organization that manages our nation's organ transplant system, and, and they work with the government, right? And so they, they've got these great algorithms that are sitting there and able to kind of match patients with potential organs that exist within a 24 to 48 hour period, which is critical because some of those organs, they don't have, as you mentioned, like, they don't have a good shelf life, right? No. I mean, we need to get them in now. <laughs> shelf life on organs, come on, Nick. <laughs> I, you know, I just imagine this uh, yeah. vault of it. Uh, I think you're referring back to our ag right. uh, session last time where there's a shelf life for produce. But these are uh, organs. But I mean, that, and that's the, fun, the interesting thing is, yes. I mean, that it is very critical that we handle that velocity, right? I mean, yes. and the volatility, because that data, so, you know, we're talking about some of the big Ds, uh, big Vs of data, um, where essentially, again, take two, uh, take two, no, um, <laughs> we're, the we're, Vs, we're all feeling it too. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> where the Vs of big data really are, are impacted by this. Yes. And, and the fact that this type, it's not something that's gonna sit around for a while, um, and so how this works with Unos is essentially they, they create what they call an organ offer report. And that information is, is then sent to all of the hospitals within their network. Um, it allows physicians and, and surgeons to be able to get the information. So all the biostatistics about the organ, um, as well as then their history of taking organs from this, to be able to then better decide whether it's gonna work. Now, as, as we've joked before, Right at some point, we're probably going to need new livers. Right, if this yes. series continues, especially much longer, take two. <laughs> yeah, take two livers. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, the idea that essentially, like, let's say we have different doctors, and we're both in for liver transplants because we've been doing this for too long. Too long. And and your doctor then decides, hey, you know, there's a liver that's available. It would be a match for Mark, but I'm not I'm not comfortable because it doesn't meet my criteria. And maybe my doctor has a different way of identifying the criteria for his organs. And so he uses that organ, and then it's very successful in my transplant. Um, the ability then for those doctors to go back and look at the historical information so that they can better understand how those organs are doing, what they're working with, um, to really make sure that, I mean, these are precious components, precious commodities. And, and you know, it's... It's, it's, it's a new definition of precious commodities. Right. I mean, organs. It, right. But, I mean, in the sense that, like, we need to make sure that those are, are working successfully, yes. that they're going the right place. And, and UNOS does an excellent job using this data to get the information out as quickly as possible. It's a great story. Right, yeah. It's I a mean, great customer. A great customer and a great story of uh, how we help, help totally. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we've been talking about all the great things that are available in the healthcare space. But I wanna take a moment to talk about more of the darker side of, of what could potentially happen here. Um, the dark side? The dark side, right. <laughs> no, um, no. I, I mean, look, we're, we're in a, a situation, as we've seen before in other areas of science, where culturally things become unacceptable because of how it's used, right? And so 
we've been talking about the ability to sequence our genomes, to better create medications, to better understand and, and essentially track and, and see vital signals. So there's a lot of very personal information that is going out. Um, and so what I'd like to do is talk about a new V of big data. Oh, a new V. A new V, right? Let's start a new trend. Yeah. Uh, uh, blogs. Like the new V. The Vs. fifth V. The, well, no, it'd be the, the 11th V. So oh, there's wait. already 10. Oh, my gosh. So I, and because I'm we, so behind on time. There's we, 11, we, uh, there's 10 Vs already. Hear ye, hear ye. No, um, so the 10, so you have your volume, your, ver your velocity, the variety, the variability, the veracity, validity, vulnerability, Jeez. yeah, um, volatility. I'm getting schooled on this now. I hope in the video we can list those on the, yes. on the screen. Thanks, um, Nick. The visualization and the value, right? So the main, the 10 Vs, and uh, this is the latest I could find. There might be more. But what and I want to... goes my buddy, Chris. Yeah, so it, it, is, it is, you know, you, you post that we're going to do one of these things at work and everyone shows up. So yeah. We apologize for the riffraff. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, so we've been talking about the 10 Vs, right? Yep. The, the latest one I could find. Um, and the fact that, look, there's so much personal information here. I'd like to introduce the 11th V that I think we just take into consideration, which is the virtue of data. And we, and we talked about this a little bit last, last segment in episode three with the uh, ag and how farmers are worried about the yeah. validity of the data impacting the prices yes. that they get on their crops. Right. And, but and this is... This is totally different, right? But, but it's still the same concept. So. Yeah, it is, and it's very valuable in the sense that, like, I hate to bring up like Ben Parker from Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. And the fact that we can literally sequence our genomes—it's it, an amazing feat, and is going to provide so much benefit to us. But used incorrectly, could create huge issues where then society is going to look at this as a taboo, and then we're not going to be able to get, gain the benefit of what's available. Right? And so we kind of we look at this from a perspective of you know, where we're dealing with in society today, where essentially we're not entirely sure as a culture how we want to handle pre-existing conditions. Could you imagine what it would be like if, it, if we had this precog, if you will, uh, or you know, predictive, where, hey, you yeah. might have this problem, so we can't ensure you. Or we can 90% predict that you're going to have this problem, right. so therefore we're not going to cover you. That's a that's a big issue. That's right. a big concern of a lot of people. So. Right. And so that's why I think it's very important not only to, to, to identify the value of that data, but understanding just because you have it, how are you going to use it? I'm pretty sure Trump would support that, too. <laughs> Let's try to keep the politics out of this, Mark. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, no, I mean, I, it, it's, it's a very important concept, right? It so, is. It's, it's, yeah. We hate to get serious during this, but it is take two. So we've had a lot to drink, um, and at this point, we're very sentimental. And thank you, Susie, for getting me a, another beer. Right. Well, look, bow down to the champion. And I might, you know what? I, I, I think at some point I might have to phone a friend. I mean, phone a friend. I can't, I can't beat you. Are you conceding, Nick? I, you know, I'm not conceding. I'm not conceding. But what I think we might do is call in a ringer. Oh, who are we calling in? Well, so you have one last beer. I have one last beer. You know, you have three last beers. I do have three last beers, but I see that there's who are one we calling beer. In? I would like to call in Kieran Dines. Oh, Kieran Dines. All right. Oh, no. Product. We can't call in the Irish guy. No, we got to call in the Irish guy. I got. I For got, what? I do. I. If we got that kind of talent, I, I got to bring in someone that can actually challenge you. Challenge me to a chug? Yeah, I can challenge you to oh. a chug. 
right? So, All right, with Kieran. this in mind, Kieran, I'd like to call, hey, Kieran. Kieran. Kieran, come here. So we're bringing so in Kieran Dines. The, I'm, the, uh, I'm phoning VP a friend. Because I lost. Nice to meet you. Nice, nice to meet, meet you. you. Senior yeah. VP of yeah. products. Yeah. So, right? I'm, How's it going yes, today? Very good, yeah, enjoy. Good, good. I'm going to step aside. This one's for you. Oh, what are we drinking? I'm phoning a friend. So This one would be the dedicated, which is <laughs> the all, the amber ale here. So so apparently I, Nick can't beat me. I can't. So beat he's him. called in oh, my former boss right. to oh, chug a beer with okay. me. <laughs> so I just I it's for the fans. Wow. It's for the fans. All right. Cool. How long do we, are you going to count down? No, we're just going <laughs> to Perfect. All right. I don't know who, who won. Kieran won. Kieran won. Yeah, that was well done. That hurts. That was well done. I'll, I'll, I'll concede to a, an Irish man. For right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. For sure. For pride and country. No. Um, so, I, you know, we, we've covered some really great use cases. Yes. Um, you know, we've spent some time here talking with the brewery and the amazing stuff that we were able to learn about what they're doing. Um, I think there's not much more we can do with this episode. So no, it's been a great episode, and, and you know, talking about data in the healthcare industry, and we can dig in on any one of those topics even deeper if we want later on. But right. I hope it's been a great session for people to understand, you know, how data in the world of healthcare and health, you know, the life sciences as they call it, mm -hmm. and, uh, and how between those two fields, really what what's going on today. So I hope it's been educational yeah. as well. So. So, again, thank you so much. My name's Nick. I'm Mark Balkmany. Until our next beer, have a good one. See you.